Thanks to Harry's for supporting The Motley Fool. To get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and a shave gel, go to harrys.com fool. Again, that's harrys.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. This is your host, Vincent Shen, and it is Tuesday, June 27th. I'm excited to welcome two foolish guests to the studio today. First, we have Fool.com editor and analyst Sarah Priestley, and we're also joined by one of our summer interns, Addie Lallier. Thanks for being here, guys. No problem. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, Sarah, you have been on a bit of a podcast hiatus. Um, do you remember when the last time you were on the show? I don't, I don't even remember, no. It's been yeah. that long. Back by popular demand. It's been that long. And from you are on. back by popular demand from me, at the very least. <laughs> and, uh, Addie, this is your first time on a podcast, right? It is. Um, I'm an editorial intern here at The Fool, and I'm a rising senior at UNC Chapel Hill studying business journalism. So this is quite fitting for you. This is, and I'm really excited to be here. Perfect. Well, uh, I'm really excited to have you guys on. I think uh, our Foolish listeners will be excited to hear what you guys have to say about some of our companies today. So our main discussion is regarding some best-in-class brick-and-mortar retailers. We've been really uh, focused in the past few weeks and months on uh, retailers, including department stores, restaurants that have been kind of been beaten down. We're going to go to the opposite side in terms of the ones that are managing to outperform. But before we do that, I wanted to offer a quick update on the IPO world. As it turns out, this is expected to be one of the busiest weeks in some time for new listings with almost 10 offerings pricing this week. One of those includes Blue Apron, the meal kit delivery company that helped to jumpstart an entire industry just five years ago. Asit Sharma and I dove into the financials and outlook for Blue Apron on the June 6th, 6th episode of Industry Focus. And since then, the company has set a pricing range of $15 to $17 per share. During our previous discussion, I was off on the timeline for this deal. Blue Apron actually filed its draft registration statement confidentially. Uh, that's a popular option for qualifying companies that basically allows them to keep their financial and operating results private for as long as possible. So rather than waiting a few months for Blue Apron stock to hit the market, potential investors can pick up shares this week. Um, and the company is currently on its Roadshow with the deal expected to price tomorrow, June 28th, uh, at the midpoint of the range, or $16 per share. The IPO itself will be a $480 million deal, and Blue Apron will boast a valuation of $3 billion. Uh, Asset and I will be sure to provide updates on the company in the coming months. So now, on to our main topic for today. What I hope to be a more positive and uplifting outlook after uh, covering, like I said, a lot of those beaten down department stores, those restaurants, and other retailers. Uh, these are the companies that kind of defying retail headwinds and putting up strong results and returns for our investors. First, we have the TJX companies, the apparel and home goods retailer. While other department stores lay off employees, re- reduce their store footprints, and try to squeeze the value out of their real estate, TJX is putting up re- incredible results, really, in returns for the shareholders. Um, Sarah Addy, for any fools who are not quite familiar with TJX and the various chains included in its store portfolio, um, can you give us a quick overview of the company, its scale, and so on? Yeah, so um, TJX owns TJ Maxx um, and Marshalls, Home Goods, Sierra Trading Post, and Winners in Canada. 
Um, and they also own HomeSense, which is in, in Europe. So they have a lot of different brands. They're kind of a global company. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, they sell apparel. They also sell footwear, home um, home goods and stationery, makeup. They cover a huge spectrum. So a lot of things you'd expect to find in a department store, you'd probably find there. But they sell about 20 to 60% cheaper than what you'd find elsewhere. Um, so they have about 3,800 stores. And for the purpose, why they, what makes them great for the purpose of this discussion is that last year they sold uh, 33 0.2 billion in sales and e-commerce was one percent of that so in all the discussion about how e-commerce is kind of dominating and killing uh you know the retail ap- apocalypse causing the retail apocalypse uh tj maxx is really booking the trend yep this is as close as you can really get to a peer play brick and mortar operation and they have been uh really killing it in terms of the results their share returns also quite strong um I personally uh, really enjoyed following this company when I was younger. Uh, my grandmother actually loved shopping at <laughs> TJ Maxx and Home Goods, and I remember going with her all the time. So she would just like really patiently kind of browse through each rack, looking for just the right items, and we'd end up spending like over an hour there during the afternoon before you know we made our way through the whole store. And investors you know, will often hear management and analysts talk about this appeal of their stores, kind of like a treasure hunt, and. They have these popular brands, they have low prices, and uh, a product selection that's constantly changing based on uh, you know, their buying habits and their vendors, what, they, uh, what their vendors are essentially offering. And that's uh, obviously helped the company to deliver some strong results. And I'd like to dive more into exactly the mechanics of how uh, TJX is outperforming and how it's able to deliver this experience and value for customers. Well, I think I think the biggest thing for them is their inventory and supply chain management, which you touched on. So I think the the real selling point is the fact that you can go into a TJ Maxx and you could spend a couple of hours there browsing because it's never going to be the same inventory that you've already sure. seen before. Um, so so that what allows them to do that is this inventory and supply chain system, which is unparalleled. They they custom built their own supply chain system. That means that they can go to their vendors, they can buy smaller quantities than they would normally. They can buy different sizes, maybe um, don't take a lot of the perks that other retailers would in terms of like the promotion expectation, returns expectation. Um, so they have a lot of freedom to do this. And what that means is that they end up with a huge choice, huge selection, and then this is the crux of it. They can distribute that uh, well globally, and they have the knowledge of the individual stores to make it local, to make it suitable for that local area. And they talk a lot about having no walls, so their stores have no walls. They can make the content exactly what they expect people want to buy in that locality. And um, to it's really hard to kind of explain. Uh, how unique that is and how difficult that is to replicate. Um, you know, supply chain systems are notoriously very cumbersome and hard to operate. The fact that they manage 18,000 vendors worldwide on this system and manage to deliver kind of the granularity that they do for the individual stores is incredible. Um, I think some of that is through the fact that they have a thousand buyers worldwide. So that kind of number of buyers plus the relationships that they're establishing um, is a huge plus. So really they have this army essentially of buyers out there <laughs> ready to, to kind of connect with wh- whatever vendor it may be. The 18,000 I think is, is, is really impressive in that uh, it, it shows how uh, much less they might rely than some of their competitors I think on you know certain key brands because ultimately what customers go on when they look for it is something new that treasure hunt and they don't need to always necessarily have the same amount of some major brand I think in terms of what uh, shoppers see when they enter a Marshalls or a TJ Maxx 
and you mentioned you know the no walls and how the floor plan is very flexible. That's also kind of similar to the fact that in terms of uh, the way they stock their stores, their buying habits, the fact that some of the things that they buy, they will put on the floor that very same season, if not the next season, whereas traditional department stores will often make their purchases uh, months in advance. And what that basically allows the company to do is really stay on top of popular trends, kind of see what's selling well. And that information kind of flows back, I think, to the vendors as well uh, as valuable data and feedback. Um, so, uh, you know, this this product selection and, and the, the discounts that the store offers is powering the strong foot traffic and keeping customers coming back. And to quantify that, I think it's important for investors to see, to look at uh, one metric, and that's inventory turnover. So I covered this uh, metric de- in detail last May. And basically what it tells an investor is how many times a retailer will sell through its entire inventory in a given period of time, usually a year. And usually the higher, the better for this number. So TJX boasts an inventory turnover for the last 12 months of 6.2 times. And to give you a little bit of perspective, Macy's is just 2.7 times, Nordstrom 4.4 times, and Kohl's 2.9 times. So in other words, while it might take TJX about 60 days to sell through their entire inventory, Macy's and Kohl's would need over 125 days and Nordstrom would need about uh, 80 days. And when you put that in perspective, what it co- amounts to is that the more time for the comp- uh, it takes more time for the competition to convert that inventory to revenue and essentially cash, while TJX is already kind of moving on to their next season or collection of apparel to offer their their customers. Um, so, uh, you know, the uh, listeners now, I guess, have a better understanding of why TJX is leading the pack. I think it's a natural question, though, to ask. You, know, you mentioned that their digital business is only one percent of their revenue, uh, and I, I think a lot of people are probably wondering at this point whether it can maintain that kind of balance to its business, and then, and also kind of scratching their heads, wondering why, while Amazon is eating everyone else's lunch, they haven't managed to do the same with TJX, and is essentially. Uh, the company's moat big enough to hold off online comp- competition and maintain uh, the the success that it's seen with this pure kind of brick and mortar operation. Um, you know, basically, you know, is the moat big enough to do this? I think so. Yeah, I, I think that there's a few things that make it um, that protect them from the Amazon effect. One, as you kind of touched on, the choice. They're not reliant on one particular brand. This isn't Nike trying to sell through its own website. Mm-hmm. It's they have Nike and they have Under Armour and they have every sports a retailer, uh, every sports apparel company you could want, and that's the benefit because they can move with the with the trends, as you say, um, as you were describing. Sorry. I think the other thing is the fact that the average ticket size um, for TJ Maxx, uh, uh, sorry for TJX generally is so small, it doesn't necessarily make sense for people to make those purchases online. Um, and then third thing is just the experience. They offer value and they offer the whole treasure hunt experience and you can't necessarily get that online. People don't think, I, I generally believe people don't think they know what they want when they go to TJ uh, Maxx or to Marshalls or even to Home Goods. Um, but the fact of the matter is you get in there, you see these great deals, uh, you find something that you want and, and they give people a reason to go to the stores. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, last thing I do want to touch on, uh, you know, besides what we're bullish on, is some of the risks I think that the company faces 
in, in terms of some of the things that come to mind for me are the fact that uh, you know it has over 300 stores. I think management has spoken to a long-term uh, target or runway of over 5,000 potentially uh, across its you know geographic footprint. But ultimately, uh, you know, there's always concerns in terms of a lot of its competitors are hurting now because they went through this huge period of essentially overexpansion. Uh, there's more retail space in the United States than in any other country. Um, is that a concern? Is that something that uh, T that TJX might have to deal with in terms of you know they have they reach a point where they have so many stores they can't even find all those good deals from vendors, for example, to uh, essentially uh, keep items on the rack and to fill them out. It, it is definitely a concern, especially when you consider that you know Macy's has started Macy's Backstage, I think, and uh, Nordstrom Rack, and you've got Off Sacks. So there's a lot of competitors that are arising that are going to be competing for the same inventory. Sure. And that's where that whole uh, vendor relationships really comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there is the potential for risk of overexpansion here. At the minute, they're 5% of the U.S. apparel and footwear market. Um, and still, still a very small portion. Still very small. If they if they are on track with their projected expansion, it would be 7%. So, again, still small. Um, I think that they should be careful of it. Uh, one thing to note is that they have had, they've had this question. They've been challenged on this for the past 40 years. Fair enough. Um, so, and, and they haven't, if you look uh, on their investor relations website, they actually have a chart that shows that through multiple downturns, they haven't had been affected. They have had 21 years of comps improvement, 21 years of sales improvement, 20 years raising a dividend. So I think that you have to give them some credit to the fact that they know how to navigate these choppy waters. Sure. Yeah, those are you know, two decades. Those are long-term results. And I think investors definitely have a lot to follow and a lot to be excited about uh, when uh, watching this company going forward. Uh, before we move on, uh, I want to thank Harry's again for supporting Industry Focus. Uh, I've been a satisfied Harry's customer for over a year, and that is easily the longest I've ever managed to stick with a single shaving system, because uh, I've experimented with everything from electric razors to straight-edge razors, and Harry's has made my mornings so much better. When I start my day, all I want to do is get ready and head out the door as quickly as possible. And it helps to have a routine that is simple and easy to do, even when I'm essentially half asleep. So I dumped the electric stuff, which never really gave me a very close shave anyway. And the old school razors just took too much time out of my morning. Harry's won me over with a fast, close, and comfortable shave. Plus, they offer the best shaving cream I've ever used. Smells great, and it lathers as if I used a brush. So Harry's is so confident you'll love their products that they're offering foolish listeners a trial set for free. Just pay $3 for the shipping. Stop messing around and get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Just go to harrys.com fool. Again, that's harrys.com fool. Uh, so... Our next company is Alta, and uh, before we 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 start diving into that and how they're outperforming as well, I want to give out a shout out to one of our foolish listeners as well. His name is Michael Palmer. He's from Illinois. Michael reached out to us recently. Uh, anyone can do so, by the way, via Twitter at MF Industry Focus or email to industryfocus at fool.com. and he shared what has officially become my favorite industry-focus-related story. I think a lot of the IF crew shares that sentiment. Uh, Michael wrote to us, he said, I'm pretty sure the last episode of CG Industry Focus got me out of a traffic ticket. I was listening to the section on Walmart doing home delivery through employees. That was on my show, by the way. Got a little too focused on it and made a rolling stop through a stop sign. The cop pulled me over and asked if I knew what I did. I honestly said no and blamed the podcast since I was getting deep into it. 
He asked me what it was about, and I explained the General Motley Fool idea and the Walmart piece specifically. Apparently, he had just bought Amazon stock for his kid because he thought all brick and mortar was going away, quite relevant to this episode as well. So we chatted about Walmart possibly being a good play with the dividend and footprint in e-commerce business. We also both had taken lumps on Under Armour over the past couple years. Next thing you know, 20 minutes have passed. He gave me back my license and said, good talking to you, and be careful with the stop signs. Looks like I made a new investing buddy, and you hopefully got a new listener. <laughs> so I'm really excited that I was able to personally help Michael here get out of that traffic ticket, and hopefully, uh, you know, that officer is a also a loyal follower and listener for industry focus as well. But wrapping up our show here and our discussion, uh, remember that uh, Ulta is is a specialty retailer, and they're I consider them very much so uh, in terms of strength. And their business model is kind of similar to TGX, so they probably have more of an online presence that you'll discuss, Addy. But can you give us a quick rundown of what they do, and then we'll dive into kind of uh, some of the bright spots for them as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ulta is the largest beauty retailer in the United States right now, and it offers cosmetics, fragrance, skincare products, hair care products, and full service salons in their stores. They currently operate 990 stores in 48 states and are located primarily in strip malls. Um, in suburban areas. Along with their physical store presence, Ulta has a strong online presence, as well as a downloadable app. In the last 12 months, Ulta's sales increased 23.7% to $4.9 billion. Very nice. Um, so, our interns actually uh, have been pitching stocks on a weekly basis as an ongoing project. And uh, Ulta was a company that you actually covered last week, Addy. Yes. Um, so, I'll let you take the reins uh, here in terms of what do you think are some of the the main things that you know for TJX? It was uh, kind of the the evolving uh, inventory that they offer, the discounts, that value, and and the feelings that I think shoppers get when they go into one of those stores. What is it that Alta that Alta offers to its customers that has allowed them to really uh, outperform as well? Right. I think there are two main things that really drive Ulta um, ahead of everyone else. One is their physical stores and how it feels to go into that store and the layout and how it's open and the staff is friendly and there's so much selection um, and there's the salons and then there's a placement of the services such as the brow bar and that's at the front of the store. Um, I think when you really go in there everything is so easy to navigate and whether you're looking for one thing you end up finding other things. Sure. It's just really the layout of the store and I think that other stores don't really have that as strong as Ulta does. Mm -hmm. And then another huge thing is um, the loyalty re rewards program. Um, it's called the Ultimate Rewards Program, and it's pretty much a dollar, um, a point for a dollar. Every dollar you spend, you get a point. And the more points you get, you get a monetary reward. So the next time you buy something, you get X amount of dollars off um, the more you accumulate. And I really think that drives people and is an incentive to buy more. Um, and they're super guest centric their business model, whether it's the loyalty system and um, there's coupons in the advertisements, um, I think overall they really focus on the customer relationship and wanting them to come into the stores and rewarding them for doing so. Um, sure. And it's not just the feeling to, uh, in terms of how the layout and while that is all very conducive to that positive shopping experience, you know, the these benefits of their layout of offering some services in addition to the products um, and also the loyalty program, they have a quantified effect on the business. Uh, from what I've seen, you know, some of the loyalty program members, uh, similar to other programs that we've seen in terms of uh, companies like Starbucks, for example, um, they tend to be much better customers. 
Um, how does that end up kind of panning out for the company? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, sales from loyalty members actually accounted for about 90% of the revenue, which wow. is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that speaks for itself that this program is working mm-hmm. and customers are really appreciative of the rewards that they're getting. Sure. So another big part of Ulta um, is their salon service, which is huge, and not other beauty re- retailers really have that. Um, so that really differentiates them. And actually, salon guests spend almost three times as more than non-salon guests and shop two times more than non-salon guests. So that's, wow. yeah, that's yeah. a huge metric in terms of what they're doing um, for their customers and how much they're spending. Yeah, I think that uh, that frankly reminds me of a lot of uh, kind of these different um, concept stores that certain other retailers have been trying in terms of you you need to offer something beyond just what you're selling to bring people in the door and when you do it kind of become uh, more of an experience for the seller. Everybody's talking about how especially younger consumers are looking for that uh, more ex- uh, experiential spending rather than material spending, um, and I can see how. This is the kind of thing if somebody can come in for their salon services and while they're walking out, potentially, you know, browse for the various cosmetics products, things along those lines, and walk out. In this case, with what was that three times bigger ticket size, yeah. right? Um, so uh, beyond their stores, uh, they also do have a bigger digital presence uh, than TGX, uh, who we were talking about previously. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on what some of those efforts look like? Right, so they have a huge e-commerce presence, um, and along with that, they also have a downloadable app where you can do the same things that uh, you would do online. So you have you can shop, you can see your rewards. Um, there's actually a thing called the Glam Lab where you can test out products, which, in terms of other retailers uh, selling products online, I think this is where Ulta has a competitive advantage because. When it comes to beauty products, you want to be able to smell it and try it, right? And everything. Um, so customers can do that uh, at Ulta in stores, but then also that transfers over to they can go home and order it online. Whereas if other companies, um, such as Amazon, if you want to, you can't get that same experience. You can't get that same experience, right? And so I think they really hit all channels, whether it's through the app, through the online sales, and in store, they super omni channel. And I think customers, um, Flow through all three of those sure. pretty frequently, and this this I'm I'm sorry I don't understand for this glam lab thing is that like a digital <laughs> way of trying things on like how oh, does that way yes. even work? You upload a selfie of oh, yourself wow. and you can try on different makeup. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, that's impressive. Um, so um, kind of following a similar uh, I guess line of thinking with our TGX discussion, uh, there is of course. A lot of, I think, competition in this industry, you have other big names in cosmetics and in makeup, like a place like Sephora. Um, I guess the question becomes, um, you know, is the growth rate that Ulta has been seeing so far, uh, like, is it, do you guys view that as being something that they're going to be able to sustain longer term? And, you know, what is essentially the, the moat for this company? I think they're completely sustainable. They're penetrating the U.S. market really strongly right now, but their e-commerce presence is huge. And um, I think they can transfer over to that at any time, and they really want to grow that as well. Um, yeah, I think their online business grew 56% last year. That is just astronomical. When you look, when you compare it to other retailers, a lot of people are going to be enviable of that. So they obviously have cracked the omni-channel. 
Um, I do think that it's a lot down to the experience and the fact that they are value driven too, because you're going to risk the Amazon, you know, the Best Buy issue that people are going to go into one of these stores are going to try the makeup. And if they can get it cheaper elsewhere online, they may do that. Yeah, showrooming. And that was yeah. a huge issue for some of these big box stores. Yeah. Um, again, I, I, I am curious uh, if it they benefit from a similar situation in terms of, you know, with TGX, those the ticket sizes here. I'm not sure. I know that cosmetics can get very expensive, but I'm, I'm curious sometimes if it isn't just more convenient. Once you're there and you've tried it and you like it, then you just want to take it home with you. It's that instant very gratification. <laughs> it so, is. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that can even beat what is a one or two day shipping offer from someone like Amazon. Uh, my last point then uh, that I'd uh, like to discuss is, again, kind of what some bearish investors might be looking out for, or people who are just concerned in terms of potential headwinds for the company. What are things that you guys are watching uh, that you think uh, our listeners should also keep an eye on, uh, despite you know how well the company has, has been doing? I think when people think of Ulta and any beauty retailer, they their mind jumps to Sephora. And I think Sephora is probably the closest competitor to Ulta, but I think they are very different. Um, Sephora is chic and sleek, but I think the overall business model is a lot different. And Sephora is located in malls in large cities, while Ulta is more spread out and vibrant and located in more suburban areas, strip malls. Sure. And so they're targeting some different people there. Um, but one of the biggest differences, I think, between the two and touching back to the loyalty program is this different reward system that they have going on and how much Ulta focuses on its guests or its uh, customers a little more so than Sephora. And I think that's the one thing that's really putting them in front of them. Um, and to kind of go into some details on that, Ulta does the monetary reward program where it's a point for a dollar sure. and so on. And Sephora is more uh, samples. You get samples or it's free shipping on orders um, X amount or more. And so I think it's really the the monetary side of it or samples. And um, I just really think that Ulta is one step ahead of Sephora by offering this huge variety of coupons and exclusive offerings in the point system. So, despite the competition there, you know they have the leg up in terms right. of offering that stronger incentive. Right. It's Fair going enough. to be interesting to see as they expand into urban areas. I know that's what they're starting to do Correct. now into urban areas and the places where Sephora is. If there's, you know, people are going to be faced with a choice. They sell a lot of the same yeah. um, brands, and especially now with they're starting the Mac boutiques, right? Which mm -hmm. is, am I right? Sephora doesn't offer those. Correct. So, I mean, to me, it's going to be uh, they're going to be duking it out, which will be it's going to be exciting to watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, running out of time here. Any last thoughts from you guys? All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for being on the show today. Um, and thank you again, Michael, for that awesome story. And thank you, uh, Fools, for listening. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Bye.